Thank you, worship team. Our scripture is the Lord's Prayer today, and we're going to read it both from Luke 11 and Matthew 6. So if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a blue Bible in front of you, and Luke 11 is 869, and Matthew 6 is 811. I'll read these two passages, and then you'll notice some differences between the two. Luke 11, 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then skipping down to verse 11. But father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now in a very similar passage, Matthew 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Take a moment to reflect together on God's Word. In the spring of 1804, Lewis and Clark and 31 other men that were all called together the Corps of Discovery, they went on a legendary adventure. Most of you know about it. They traveled for nearly two years and they paddled or poled or walked nearly 8,000 miles. Can you imagine that? Over two years. They got their steps in, I'm guessing. And the Missouri River served as their primary highway, and eventually they did reach the Pacific Ocean. Last week, I mentioned two key habits, two what we call spiritual disciplines that are required for our journey, our discovery of Jesus. 
you might remember Donald Whitney's definition of the spiritual discipline. Spiritual disciplines are the process by which you put yourself in the way of allurement. You, you, you do something to put yourself in the way of something that you want to be attracted to or become like. And so a spiritual discipline of prayer or being in front of Jesus like Mary and Martha sitting there as you're putting yourself in the way of him. And he, Whitney goes on to say, they are highways built by God to the ocean of himself. I love that. Highways built by God to the ocean of himself. Now, prayer is one of those. We talked last week about sitting quietly in an undisturbed manner before Jesus. That's number one. And I hope you found your chair. If you don't remember that illustration, then you can go back and look at last week's sermon. And the second one is prayer. Prayer is, I would say, not the highway or the river for our Lewis and Clark illustration. It's the river built by God that brings us to the ocean of God himself. Richard Foster who writes a lot on spiritual disciplines, he says this, prayer catapults us into the frontier of the spiritual life. Feel that adventure? It's a catapult into the frontier of the spiritual life. It's sort of undiscovered territory when you begin to pray. There's things that are wild and unknown in that way. So as we get ready to be catapulted in this frontier, I'm, I'm looking for volunteers on this core of discovery. Who wants to go on this great adventure of prayer to, to get to the, the Pacific Ocean, to, to get there and discover something that is so much bigger than we could possibly imagine? Now, before I ask you to raise your hands as a guide, I think it's necessary to tell you that there are dangers along the way. Not everyone who started on the core of discovery made it back alive. A lot of their journey was done in the dark. The same with prayer. A lot of your journey in prayer is going to be done in the dark. So it's not the ocean where the sun's coming up and you can see everything. A lot of it's done in the dark. In prayer, there are beauties, there are discoveries beyond description. But it's done in the dark in some places. And let me just give you a few examples of great people in prayer. The psalmist, Psalm 88, ends his prayer this way. Darkness is my closest friend. That's how he concludes. Amen. That's his closing line. Habakkuk, he begins his prayer this way. How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or Jesus, quoting another song or prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, this is a great journey, but it's not without its dark places. But this gets us somewhere to God. It's prayer is a tool, not for us to manipulate God into our position, but a, a tool God uses to bring us into his position. And to bring us there comes through a dark place in many times. And so Luke 11 and Matthew 6 have what's called, we know as the Lord's Prayer. Really, it's the disciples' prayer uh, because they're asking Jesus to teach them how to pray and says, okay, here's a good prayer for you. Here's a, a model prayer. And I want to just make some observations here before and after the prayer, and then I'll take a look at the prayer as well. So first of all, there's two warnings you see in Matthew that Jesus gives when you're thinking about prayer. 
The first warning in verse 5 is don't be a hypocrite. And that word means be, don't be an actor. And we're going to talk about this in two weeks more, so I'm just going to put a pause right there on the first warning. The second warning is the first warning, don't be a hypocrite like the Pharisees who want to be seen. The, the second warning is, is don't be like the Gentiles. And the way the Gentiles prayed is they heaped up empty phrases, thinking that because of their many words, people would be impressed or they would be heard or God would be impressed. So don't be like that. The, the word there, heap up empty phrases, in the Greek is batalageo. It means don't be a, a babbler. Don't just babble along with many words thinking, well, God's listening to me. I just got to keep going, keep going, going, keep going. I mean, most of us don't have relationships like that where it's just a one-sided, you know, uh, volcano of words. And Jesus says here, you don't have to do that because, verse 8, your father already knows what you need. The reason you don't have to spell out all these words is he already knows. He, he sees you. He knows about Tanya in Romania. He knows all about Tanya in Romania at 10 years old. So my question then becomes, well, if we don't need to use many words and he already knows, then why are we praying? Is this kind of a question you might have? And the reason for prayer is relationship. God doesn't need you to pray to keep him informed of what's happening in your life. Lord, I mean, I know you don't know what's happening down here in my life right now, but I'm going to give you some updates. Like, oh, good, I'm so glad you're here. Kind of blind to it until you tell me, Paul. That's not what's happening. No, he wants you to pray in order to build a relationship with him. But most secure relationships don't require a lot of words. The more uncomfortable you are in a relationship, the more uncomfortable you are with quiet. So you sort of just kind of talk along. But the more you get used to somebody, you don't have to say everything because they know. You know them. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote about prayer. We say God is omniscient, yet a great deal of our prayer seems to consist of giving him information. So one warning is just don't babble. You're, you're coming into a relationship, as we'll talk in a moment, with your father. You, somebody that knows you, you can know. Second observation is prayer takes training. You see in Luke 11, 1, the, Lord, the, the disciples listen to Jesus and say, hey, can you teach us to pray? And I think what's happening, and this is, may have happened to you before, you hear somebody pray and you think, okay, I don't pray like that. There's something about their prayer. There's something about their relationship. There's something there that I wish I had. I don't have it. And I think the disciples are looking at Jesus and saying, he's got a way of praying that I just don't have. So can you just teach me how to pray? So prayer is something that's taught. And because it's something that's taught, this is important. It takes practice. It takes practice. When you begin your journey with Jesus, a strong prayer life isn't like software that gets downloaded into your life and you go, well, I just became a great prayer, prayer person. It doesn't work that way. It's something that you have to learn. It's something that you have to try. It's something you have to listen to and take on parts for yourself. I love how the, the theologian and songwriter John Newton, who wrote the, the words of Amazing Grace, he said this, as I sit down to pray, see if you understand this. 
As I sit down to pray, the simple buzzing of a fly is an overmatch for the strength of my prayer. This ever happened to you? You're sitting down and just some little thing, and you're like, I can't pray. Yeah, it's something that has to be taught, some kind of discipline that has to be exercised. If John Newton, of all people, writes Amazing Grace, he's probably singing Amazing Grace. I need grace right now because this stupid fly is flying around and I can't pray. So prayer takes practice. There's a book called Praying the Bible, and we're using it as a, a resource for a class on prayer right now in Sunday school. And there are some extra copies of this in, uh, on the information table. So if you want one of these, this will help you focus your prayers because a lot of times you just drift around, you don't know what to pray. This helps you sort of come to the Bible and say, I'm going to use words of the Bible, which really help you in your prayer. So that's a resource that we have for you. So prayer, it takes practice. Now let's look at the model prayer and let's just start with this, this heading. When you pray, say, Father. Now, we're used to it, so we don't hear the, the dynamic that Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's telling the disciples something very shocking. He's not saying, start your prayer as God the Holy One or King of Kings or Creator or Almighty or the Judge. No, he's saying, let's think of it as a family relationship here. Let's think of it as having some intimacy. You're, you're like my dad. Romans 8, for you receive the spirit of sonship and by him we cry what? Abba, Father, Dad. Paul understood this. This relationship went from somebody that is out here to somebody that's close. I love this quote by one commentator. Our Father is what distinguishes prayer from worrying out loud. Saying our Father is what distinguishes you from just saying, I'm just worrying out loud. I'm just saying all these things I'm worried about. But you're actually saying it to somebody, somebody who has power, somebody who sees you, somebody who wants to have a relationship with you. So you start with our Father, and then the prayer sort of breaks into two equal parts. The first half is preoccupied by God, and the second half is about us. So the first half, you'll notice the, the language changes. It starts from it starts talking about God, and then it moves to you and us. And the first half of the prayer is preoccupied with God's glory. Father, hallowed be your name. It's all about God before it's about us in your prayer. It's all about God before it's about us. Let's say that together. It's all about God before it's about us. This is just a little teaching tool as i go to prayer my guess and i'm not looking at anyone specifically here so i'm just going to look at the wall right now is i've got to pray because what i've got a problem <laughs> i mean i've got something that god needs to think about me right now that is so much the initiative of my prayer and i've got to stop and say okay before it's about me it's about god that's that's just a little teaching tool. I've got to implement that. I've got to begin to bring that into my prayer life. It's all about God. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your will. See, I want to, I want to say, I'm coming here. I have things I want to express because I'm in a relationship. But the first thing I need to acknowledge is, is you're the most important. 
I might say a bunch of stuff that I want to see done, but really I want your will to be done. And that might mean some of the things I want to have happen don't happen. And I'm okay with that. Hallowed be your name. Nothing will go right until the greatness and goodness of God is adequately grasped. Until that, the human compass will always point in the wrong direction. Quote by one theologian. See, if you don't really have that starting point, then your compass is going to point you in a bad direction. So when you start praying, isn't it true that the condition of your mind is, is scattered? I think about a, a symphony. And if you've ever been to a symphony and you're there before it starts, you have all the players sort of come out. And they're all like, they're all over the place. They're not unified. And it's just fun to watch. But when the conductor comes out, ding, 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 somebody hits one note and everybody tunes to that one note. And that takes practice. That, the, the, your mind, my mind, is like before the conductor comes out. I sit down to pray, and I've got notes going off all over the place. I've got so many distractions, so many things. And it's just trying to say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's like the conductor saying, okay, it's, okay, distractions, let's all come together. It's all about God before it's about me. It takes practice. It's not something that's going to come automatically. It doesn't get downloaded. Wish it did. Your will be done. What a challenge to pray that. If 90% of our prayer content is about me, then it's my kingdom come, my will be done. So the first half of this prayer, this great prayer, is about God. And it takes practice to get off of yourself and begin to listen to him, to like be like Mary, to just sit quietly and understand, I don't have to say anything to be in prayer. He sees me. I can be at rest. If I don't say anything, he can answer my prayers. It's not required that I speak them out loud in order for him to hear or to him to understand or for him to answer. Second half of the prayer transitions from our, your to our, and you see three specific needs that are met here, physical needs, relational needs, and ethical needs. And I'll just make some comments here. Physical needs are daily bread. We just pray. We've got things that are, I've lost my job, or I have a problem with my health, or Whatever it is, I just have a physical need. I want to bring those before the Lord. Secondly, we have relational needs. Notice here the second thing is asking about forgiveness. Sin, as I said, creates this relational barrier. And so whoever prays for forgiveness, we're trying to say, I have this relational barrier, Lord, with you. And it's important to understand the Christian who prays for forgiveness when you sin, when we sin, we're not praying because we are, we're afraid our legal standing before God has changed. This is important. God, forgive me so I can get back into heaven. You see, that a lot of people sort of live in that way. 
I've had a bad week and I don't know if I'm in the kingdom anymore, so I've got to pray the, the confession and sort of get back in. When we pray for forgiveness, we're not, we're not asking for our legal standing to be changed back before God because we've been forgiven on the cross by Christ's death. That's what forgave us, is his life for our life. So we don't have to come every Sunday and say the sinner's prayer. I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church, and I couldn't tell you how many times I said the sinner's prayer. And I just had to, I kept giving my life to, how many times have you given your life to Jesus? I mean, hundreds of times, right? Because I sinned, and I thought, I'm out. I got to say the sinner's prayer, and I got to get in. Well, then the next week, I sinned, and I got out, and the next week, I had to say the sinner's prayer. You see, I'm in a, I'm in a, bad, a bad theological way of thinking. What's happened is I've sinned, and I've created a, a closedness or a coldness to God. I still have a legal representation with Him. Christ has died for me. But some, there's a barrier, and I don't want that barrier. I want it to be down. I, want it, I don't want to be cold towards God. I don't want to feel distant toward God. So I pray, God, I've got this thing in my life that's creating this block, this relational block. I hope that's helpful to you. You give your life to Christ. He died for your sins. Then relational issues come up. You know this, don't you know, in, the, in your own life. You have a great relationship and some, something happens. Somebody wrongs somebody and a little barrier goes up. A little cold war starts. And forgiveness has to be, you're still married maybe, you're still their friend maybe, but something happens that needs to be addressed in order for the relationship to get mended back together. So we do the confession every week just as a way to bring down walls. Third, there's the ethical needs, temptation and evil. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I appreciate Dallas Willard's comments on this. So helpful to me. This request, this request about delivering us from temptation and evil, is not just for evasion of pain and things we don't like. Instead, it expresses the understanding that we can't stand up to very much pressure. <laughs> it's not just, I don't want to engage in things that are hard. Really, it's just an acknowledgement, I can't stand up to very much pressure. Willard says, it's a vote of no confidence in our own abilities. Jesus' prayer begins with the glorification of God, and it ends with the acknowledgement of the feebleness of ourselves. You're so great, and I'm not that great. Because I, I need you to meet my physical needs. I need you to meet my relational needs. I need you to meet my forgiveness needs. I need you to meet my ethical needs. I need, I need you. I'm not that great. I'm not that sturdy. To appreciate, he goes on to say this, to appreciate our feebleness, one only has to watch how quickly begin, people begin to attack God when bad things start to happen. See, if something bad happens and you begin attacking God, you've got a very fragile relationship. So we pray that God would lead us away from temptation and, and help us if we encounter evil to deliver us. Not just to avoid pain because it's more like, I'm just not that sturdy. I need your help. I need your strength to enable me to do this. And then in Matthew 6, I want to close here. The prayer has a postlude. It's a piece of music after the main piece of music. I find very interesting, verses 14 and 15. Jesus finishes the prayer 
and then he wants to circle back around. A postlude is usually some, something repetitive in the main piece of music. And there's all things God, Jesus could have picked out. He could have picked out something about God the Father or the kingdom or God's will or our physical needs or temptation or evil. But he doesn't. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So he circles back around to forgiveness. Why? Why does he choose forgiveness over all the other possible options? I mean, I don't know. I'm just going to guess just like you. But my guess is because that's probably the hardest. When, when I thought about it, for me to say, well, God is great and his kingdom is great and I hope his kingdom takes over my kingdom, that might be hard, but that's okay. I have physical needs, which I hope God supplies. That's okay. I don't want to be overcome by evil. That's okay. I need forgiveness. That's okay. I need to forgive somebody who damaged me. Um, that's not okay. See, I'm, I'm mostly okay with the other things, and I think Jesus senses you probably can be okay on some of those things, but when it comes to somebody who's put a dent in your soul, uh, that's different. Uh, that's more complicated. That's nuanced. I mean, that's how we sort of give, give ourselves a pass on that. And I love the word debt. It's a perfect word here. Because when people sin against you, they create a debt. Or maybe you could think of it as a dent. Somebody sinned against you, it creates a dent in your 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 soul or your relationship. And, and here we're asked to forgive them. We're required to forgive them. And it seems to me this is the easiest one to choke on. Because left on my own, I don't prefer forgiveness. I prefer a cold war. I prefer revenge. Oh, you hurt me, I, I'm going to hurt you. I, I prefer so many other things over forgiveness. So forgiveness is going to be hard work, and Jesus circles back around, and he adds this, if you don't forgive others, then you're not going to be forgiven. And ah, That's complicated. Because I know the scriptures don't, don't tell me that my salvation is based on my forgiveness of somebody else. I know that's not true, but it sure sounds like that's what he's saying here. I think what Jesus is saying is, is forgiveness of others is a gauge that you would use on whether you understand God's forgiveness of you. Because you've made a far bigger dent into the holiness of God than anyone has ever dented your soul. And he's forgiven you so we're going to use it as a gauge. Do you understand really the forgiveness that God has given you? Our forgiveness of others doesn't determine whether God forgives us. It demonstrates whether we understand that. Now, I wanted to close here because when we get to forgiveness, there's a lot of pain in a room with this many people. And it creates a lot of questions about what does forgiveness really entail? And require. And this is a place, if you're not careful, you can get very confused and even hurt. And so I don't have a lot of time here. I'm going to recommend two resources that I think can help you move down a correct road and then just make some comments. First of all, there's a podcast called, this will be in the newsletter, 
the place we find ourselves, the place we find ourselves. It's a podcast by a Christian therapist, and he has a lot of different topics that you might find interesting. But he has what for what one podcast is what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And really, it's 25 or 30 minutes, and I, I think you would probably go, that was so clarifying to me on a particular issue that I have about forgiveness. And then Tim Keller, former pastor at Redeemer in New York, has written a book, I believe, recently on forgiveness. And he has a podcast. He has a he has a podcast uh, with an interview about the book, and has a, again some very helpful things I think that he'll say to be helpful to you. So let me just make a few comments, and we'll close here. Forgiveness is fueled first by appreciating the forgiveness that we've received. So if you want to have fuel to forgive somebody who's harmed you, the fuel's always going to come from understanding the cross. I've got to get, get back to what God has really done for me and allow that forgiveness of God to me to fuel my capacity for forgiveness for others. If you try to come out with some other fuel, you're going to just run out, run out of steam. Second, forgiveness is not forgetting. This is something that a lot of people get confused about. Forgiveness is not forgetting. There's lots of ways to think about this, but when Jesus's body came out of the tomb, what could you see? You could see the scars. Well, why? Why? Why, why didn't those go away? Why, what are those going to be a sign of? Well, that I remember something that's happened. So forgiveness isn't forgetting. Actually, Adam Smith says forgiveness is, is remembering. And he says it this way, which was helpful to me. You must state clearly the wrong which has been done against you. In order to, 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 to the act of forgiveness, we're not talking about restoration of relationship. We're just talking about you having the willingness to forgive. You've got to say out loud, this is what happened. This is what you did to me. It's got to be said out loud. Joseph, Genesis 45, he reveals himself to his brothers. Remember this? They've been sold, he's been sold into slavery. He's gone, been in prison. He's now run up to the ranks. He's at right, the right-hand man of Pharaoh. It's been many years in between. His brothers show up. And he says this, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Well, what happened to forgiveness? I mean, it's been a long time. I thought you might have forgotten about that. You see, I mean, that would be how you might think. But no, he's going to say, in order for us to have any kind of relationship, I've got to say this out loud to you. If I don't, if I just pretend like it's not there or it didn't happen, I, there's, there's not going to be real forgiveness. There's going to be a lot of fake papering over forgiveness. So you've got to be able to say out loud what really happened. It's not forgetting. And we'll see it's not holding on because this is the hard part about forgiveness. It takes time and it costs something takes time it's going to cost you something if somebody creates a debt and you forgive who's going to pay the debt you're going to pay the debt revenge is we want them to pay the debt right an eye for an eye how about an eye for two eyes you you take out my eye i'm going to get two of yours that's kind of the way emotionally we'd like to operate 
but I'm going to say, no, I'm going to forgive that, and I'm going to live with the consequences of it. That's a debt that's incurred to me, and I have to pay it down. This is hard. This is very hard. And what it means is that you release any posture of contempt or condemnation that you would have towards the other person. I think this is helpful, C.S. Lewis. This feeling of condemnation must simply be killed. I do not mean that anyone can decide at this moment that he will never feel it anymore. That's not how things happen. I mean that every time it bobs up its head, day after day, year after year, all our lives long, it must be hit on the head. It's hard work. But the, att the attempt is not impossible. We must try to feel about the enemy as we would feel about ourselves. I've got to try to love my enemy as I would love myself. So Christian therapist Dan Allender and scholar Tremper Lawman wrote a book about forgiveness called Bold Love. And in it, Allender says, the act of canceling debt that is owed in order to provide a door of opportunity for repentance. I'm willing to cancel the debt. I'm willing to absorb the debt, hoping that I could have some restoration. Now, there's, there's work to be done on the other side. I'm not at that point right now. I'm just saying, I'm willing to absorb so there's a possibility of some restoration. And I love the last three chapters of his book. He talks about forgiveness when you're dealing with an evil person, forgiveness when you're dealing with a fool, and forgiveness when you're dealing with just a regular sinner. You see, forgiveness is complicated. It's complicated. So we don't want to just be trite and say, oh, forgive and you forget. Because you might have a lot of papered over wounds that are just boiling underneath, and you're thinking you're doing the Christian thing, and actually you're not doing the Christian thing. You're not saying, you sold me into slavery. That wasn't right. That caused pain. That created a problem for me. Now, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Praise God. But that doesn't paper over the pain that I had to endure. You feel that? That's a much healthier way to try to deal with it. Now, I realize, again, in this kind of crowd, it's, this is complicated. And you and I, to get to these kinds of points, if we want to be on our journey with Jesus... You're going to have to sit down in front of Jesus and pray. This is an automatic. This is Mary. I've chosen the one critical thing. I'm focusing on Jesus who can then refocus my hurts. But if you just sit down and stew in it, that's not helpful. You stew it in front of God, that's helpful. And then I begin to pray. God, what I want to pray about is all my hurts and harms. But it's all about you before it's about me. I need to get the compass needle pointed in the right direction. And he's willing to listen about my physical needs, my ethical needs, my relational needs. But first, let's put God in the right spot. Then I have some chance of moving relationally towards people who may have harmed me. Now, this is a big topic. I'll be up here after the service if it would be helpful to talk to somebody or pray with somebody. I think those resources could be helpful for you, especially if you have a deep pain that you can't seem to figure out how to wrestle with. And maybe you need to call the office, and we can try to help you in some way as well. 
But on the Lord's Prayer, let's pray together. Lord, we, we're, we're on this journey. We're disciples in the 21st century. We're watching you. We're, we're trying to understand how you operate. And, and when you ask us to, to have a relationship, we, we need to learn how to pray. What language to use, how to sit quietly, not babble along. To make sure we know it's about you before it's about us. But then we have real hurts and harms. We lose a job. We lose our physical capacity. It's hard. We have temptations. We need to forgive. So I pray that you would enter in with your kindness and help us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.